Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Freedom Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves from the 3CR studios here in Melbourne and via podcast. Thank you very much again to Sally from Out of the Pan. Another great show. Listen in every Sunday, 12 to 1, for Out of the Pan, covering all things pansexual issues, including transgender, bisexual and polyamorous topics. So, and the song that you heard on the way out of Sally's show then was, was Sting's version of Driven to Tears, originally by The Police. Dolphins seem to hold a really special place in the human imagination. We recognise their fierce intelligence, their complex social structures, and the joy that they seem to have in the oceans and with humans, multi-species or interspecies interactions. Um, Dolphins' curiosity and willingness to come to us while we flounder around in the oceans um, seems to explain some of this connection. But unfortunately, our history and interest in dolphins doesn't stop us from causing significant impacts on them. And today we're joined by Hannah Tate, CEO of Action for Dolphins, um, who is going to be talking to us about the work, the really valuable, important work that Action for Dolphins are doing. Hannah joined Action for Dolphins in 2017 and this year moved into the role of CEO, where they hope to expand the org's efforts and aim to achieve major goals for dolphins, including ending dolphin hunting and removing lethal shark nets. Thanks very much for joining us today, Hannah. No, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So uh, the first thing I'd like to like to ask is why dolphins? Why do we need to be thinking about dolphins? Why do we need action for dolphins and why do we need to protect them? Yeah, well, there are a number of of issues that affect dolphins where AFD mainly focuses is to end the dolphin hunting that occurs over in Japan. This was made really widely popular after The Cove in 2009 came out, the documentary. So that causes major issues for population, um, decreases the population over time. And the main issue with the dolphin hunting is just how cruel it is. They, without going into too much gory detail, they will um, sometimes shove metal poles down the blowholes and and slaughter them in the most inhumane way possible. So there are animal protection laws in Japan, but they're not being used. They're not being um, put into force against this dolphin hunting. So that's actually pretty much why Action for Dolphins was set up. We primarily have a focus in legal action um, that's where our expertise is. So yeah, that that's our that's our main goal. And then from there, we sort of grew over the years. We were set up in 2013, and we've now started including trying to end dolphin captivity here in Australia and, and remove lethal shark nets, as you said, up in Queensland. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about those issues? So um, I think the cove is something that many people will have an understanding of or will have heard of it. Uh, so that's the, the dolphin slaughter in a particular um, bay or places in Japan. Um, but the other the other issues that dolphins face that you're now also tackling, can you explain those a little bit more? Like what shark nets, what's that about? And what's the other things that you're tackling about? Yeah, absolutely. So shark nets, uh, there are some in New South, in within Australia, they're in New South Wales and up in Queensland. And they were first put in in the late 1930s and they're still being used to protect swimmers and stop shark encounters, which you can see how far we've come with technology and every other facet of life, but we're still using these really outdated nets. And they're essentially, they don't span the whole beach, they're only 
around 30 metres wide and sort of 20 metres deep so animals can swim around them and and underneath them. Um, And they just indiscriminately kill anything that swims into them. They were first put in to try to protect swimmers. However, there was an Australian Senate report only a couple of years ago that showed they don't actually they don't actually guarantee swimmer safety Mm. and they're just decimating populations they're killing um as i said indiscriminately turtles lots of loggerhead turtles which critically endangered get caught um gray nurse sharks which of course are also critically endangered and a high number of dolphins also so Mm. our work around that is to try to replace them with more up-to-date technologies to actually better protect swimmers and stop this mindless killing of marine life right off right off our shores. Mm. Um, so an example might be drones, which they've already started trialling, um, luckily in Queensland um, as well as in New South Wales, which it's pretty amazing if you look at the footage that drones can capture from the air of, of animals, um, like dolphins sharks turtles and they can actually in real time then it's run by the surf lifesaving crew and they can in real time say what animals are out there and whether they need to evacuate the beach so Mm. yeah we do a lot of work around that and then dolphin captivity is the other big one um which we have in australia yes so we have two marine parks in australia with captive dolphins There's one in New South Wales called Dolphin Marine Conservation Park who we've actually been working with to move their dolphins to a sanctuary. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's quite a positive project we're working on with them and they recently said they would no longer breed their dolphins in captivity and then there was also a legislation brought in in New South Wales recently about that. And so now all eyes are on SeaWorld mm. on the Gold Coast who house over 30 dolphins and who still have an active breeding program. Yeah. And I, I would have thought that SeaWorld would have felt some of the pressure and the backlash from it, it's SeaWorld over in America, right? Is it the same company? No. So it's actually Sea Space World. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. As in, there's a space in between the words. Yeah. They, um, they're owned by Village Roadshow. Oh, okay. Yeah, so big entertainment company. Yep. Yeah, so they're they're separate from the US one. But there was there any has there been any change in sentiment that you've felt um, towards captive dolphins after after things like Tilikum and the um, Blackfish documentary? I mean, that was about uh, a killer whale, but it also showed footage of of dolphins being used in similar ways. Was there any? Have you seen a shift in sentiment since then? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it is a dying industry. I think people are becoming more aware of how intelligent dolphins are, especially here in Australia. You can go out and see dolphins along any stretch of coast pretty much. So there's no real reason to go and see them in a pool. And I think the recent legislative change in New South Wales is very indicative of that also. The fact that the law is actually catching up with um, the general sentiment, I think, is a pretty strong indicator that thing, times are changing. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and hopefully hopefully, some of the work that you're working on does um, help push that change. Yeah, uh, I actually spoke, I gave evidence of that parliamentary inquiry. So AFD was pretty um, heavily involved in that. So Fantastic. It was a huge win for, for us and for everyone in, in the animal welfare world. Yeah, I was just about to ask, what are, what are some of the um, things that Action for Dolphins have achieved since you've started in 2013? So this is, this is one of them. Yeah, definitely. So even um, working on the sanctuary, so this would be Australia's first sanctuary. Can you tell us a little bit more about the sanctuary? Yeah, so it would be, unfortunately, because the three dolphins at this marine park in New South Wales, they were all born there. So they don't have any of the life skills. They can't hunt. If they saw a fish swim past them, they'd probably just play with it or they wouldn't know what to do. So it would be irresponsible to release them back into the wild. But what we can do is move them into an area that's much closer to their natural habitat. So they're currently in concrete concrete chlorine pools. And what we want to do is move them into the harbour, into a, a much bigger area, into a sanctuary where they can start to interact with live fish again and forage on the seafloor. Mm. And so it's a huge project. Um, it requires, we've 
that was actually part of the parliamentary inquiry also. We called for funding for it. Um, but it would essentially mean that these three dolphins can live out the rest of their life in a much more natural habitat and move away from the more circus-like shows and performances and sort of using them for entertainment and just giving them a life with a lot more autonomy. Mm, yeah, an agency, you know, mm. choosing what they get to do rather than being forced to do what we want them to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do, do you have a, is there like a location specked out or is that all hush-hush or what's, how, how's that sort of processing? I mean, I imagine to that it would be an enclosed space somehow um, mm. and that's a big big cost right and a big expense to maintain so how is that all working yeah so we we do have a location the marine parks based in coffs harbour so we've been looking and we commissioned a um, tide and wavel analysis of, of the harbour to see whether it would be a safe place for the dolphins and it is so we're focusing primarily on the bait the coffs harbour basin um so that that would be the most ideal location but we're one of the sort of big snags in the project is that it requires a breakwater which is Mm. quite expensive um so that's why we're really looking for government support for that project yeah yeah and would that sort of um sanctuary be large enough to house other dolphins that might be coming from another location is that is that possible yeah yeah definitely and and one of the major parts of it as well is that we'd like to turn it into a rescue rehab centre. So currently dolphins that are stranded along the east coast of Australia, there's nowhere for them to go. Majority of the time they're euthanised. Mm. Um, but we've been in conversation with rescue groups over in the US and they have these up and down the coast and they're saying you really can't get one operating in Australia and we really should um, to also protect these animals that could be if they had a space to be rehabilitated put back into the wild so it, it would have that element to it as well which would be fantastic mm, that's really exciting i hadn't i wasn't had no idea that that sort of those sorts of conversations were happening that's great um so what what has um yeah what else has action for dolphins sort of achieved to this point yeah so as i said our, our main focus is legal action and a couple of years ago we brought a legal action against the world association of zoos and aquariums and it was because in their own rules, um, we argued that Japan, the Japanese association with their importing of dolphins from the slaughter, they were in, um, uh, they were going against those rules. And as soon as we brought the legal action, the World Association immediately suspended Japan from the, the Japanese Association of Zoos and Aquariums from the world, from Waza. Um, And that meant that the Japanese association, they um, cut all ties with Taiji. So 62 aquariums stopped importing their dolphins from the hunts. And the importation of live dolphins is the real moneymaker behind the hunt. So that at the time, it was especially it was a huge 50% cut of their income. And so that that's probably one of our biggest major wins in the hunts um, side of things and also for our work around the shark nets for example um, we've been raising a lot of awareness around that specifically in Noosa and Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast Mm -hmm. Um, we've been running public polling and to find out who whether people actually do support the nets and it's coming to light more and more that they don't. I'm not sure if you saw even recently in the news, but some of the councils down in New South Wales actually came out and said we don't want shark nets anymore. Mm. So that we're, yeah, we've been sort of spearheading that, especially up in Queensland, and they have started trialing non-lethal alternatives like the drones yeah, up there. So that's been a huge win. We're sort of moving away, I think, from the nets and into better territory, which is better protection for marine life. Yeah, and that, and that one in particular not just good for dolphins, but good for many other um, marine life and, and animals. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's where it co- comes back to that idea of it not just being about protecting animals, but also broader environment and the ecosystem of the ocean and everything. Yeah. On the um, Taiji uh, issue, so you, you mentioned that that's a fantastic sort of win to get 50% of the zoos and associations that would usually drive the market for capturing dolphins in that from that population um to stop purchasing them what's what makes up the other 50 percent 
Yeah, so that was a couple of years ago now and since then the um, industry, captive industry, has really taken off in China. Mm. So that was within, it was 62 aquariums within Japan, but now they've started exporting them a lot more over to China. So the demand has sort of gone back up again and that's why we're really focusing. Currently we've actually sort of changed angles and we're looking at the high levels of mercury in dolphin meat. Um, so we're targeting it from a public health angle and we're launching a criminal complaint, testing dolphin meat and finding that the levels are lethally high, mm. toxic high. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're going to try to raise some serious media attention around that and, and launch it from a legal angle also. Yeah, fantastic. And it's funny you mentioned um, the dolphin trade, wildlife trade to China. Mm. Uh, because in a couple of weeks, I just did an interview with, this is a plug for a future show listeners, I did an interview with um, Dr. Peter Lee, who recently wrote a book, Animal Welfare in China. And we talk about all these issues around animal welfare in China and, you know, the growing the growing um, advocacy, animal advocacy movement in China. So maybe there's a future dolphin advocacy movement um, in China that could uh, that could be supported there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember doing some research into it a while ago and connecting with a few groups over there and there's definitely um even though the industry seems to be a bit more up and coming with their rise of the middle class and people Mm. going out and um seeking out those kind of entertainments there's also really strong animal activist groups there so it's um yeah it's an interesting dynamic similar to here i suppose (laughs) yeah 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 so one one thing around the the japanese sort of um uh animal welfare issues and and the the killing of the dolphins it, that we get criticism for in the west so what and i mean australia seems to have good form in terms of ocean advocacy going out and supporting um uh, you know we've got sea shepherd who uh they have their ships here in in melbourne i think uh often dock here um and go and do work in japan and and uh, the, the world's oceans but why is an australian org um, taking the fight to Japan, is, should it not be left up to Japanese people? Is it should we not be focusing on what's happening at home in Australia to dolphins or to dolphins in the fishing industry that we impact? Why why this particular issue in Japan? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think um, something that's great about AFD is we do work really closely with Japanese groups. So one of our we brought a big legal action in 2019 targeting the permit that allowed the hunts to go ahead, and that was in conjunction with a Japanese group called the Life Investigation Agency. So we work, and all our lawyers and everything are based over in Japan, also. So we are working with Japanese people who do want to change this um, and we're just helping with we've got supporters all around the world who feel really strongly and they want to help stop this so we we sort of work in collaboration with Japanese people and Japanese groups who want want the same thing as us Um, but I think that is another reason why AFD over time expanded more into Australia and it's interesting you say the fishing nets because that's something we are starting to look at especially with sea spiracy went quite heavily into that um so yeah I think we we do focus also here in Australia as much as we can yeah and as you say there's there's dolphins all around the coast of Australia I know that I am lucky enough to live on the coast in um near Geelong and we've walked along the beach and we see a pot of dolphins out in the in the um in the bay there and they face issues uh around where we are and it's it's, it's great that you're working for dolphins here but also in other places because i suppose every, all dolphins all over the place need a voice don't they yeah and they are mi- uh, a lot of the time migratory as well so they migrate past japan um but they're not necessarily local to japan the species that they're hunting so it is guess you could see it also as quite a global issue that they're decimating the populations. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I know that, you know, with uh, with international uh, or transnational bird species, migratory species, we have systems set up for protecting the habitats and um, the, the wetlands that birds visit along their mig- migration. Uh, is there anything similar with, with dolphins? Um. Not that I know of, not off the top of my head. I think it's more protection within, like, I guess, water 
the mm. ocean works in a particular way where there's directly surrounding a country that's their area and then it's sort of anyone's game out further Mm -hmm. um which is all tied up with the whaling issue with japan and the iwc so yeah it's that they don't have um international and internationally dolphins definitely don't have enough protection which Mm. is why a group like afd exists um cool well let's um let's go to a a quick song and do you want to just tell us a little bit about this song by grey whistle test by nylon yeah, sure. So Grey Whistle Test, they're a local Melbourne band. They've um, Two of them are originally from Sydney, the other one's originally from New Zealand. They found their way to Melbourne and they made this song. The story is actually um, one of my favourites. So they were out camping one day and they um, one of them, they got really badly bogged. And so, and they're sort of in the middle of the bush and they had to walk back to the road and try and flag someone down. And this really awesome dad with his son who they they were going on a camping trip had all the kit you could possibly need, knew exactly what to do. And so they winched, he winched them out and he said to them, when you get a winch, which you'll need, don't buy a rope, buy a nylon one because ropes, if once they're taught, they'll snap if they... Um, if they touch anything, whereas nylon's really strong. And then they use that as a bit of a metaphor for their friendship, get, you know, strong, proper friendships that you can get through hard situations with. And then they wrote this song called Nylon. A man on watch Starling fires With golden hair Like rusty wire He winched us out Silence 
to speak up, speak out and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species, and today we are joined by Hannah Tate from Action for Dolphins. We've been talking about some of the work um, that Action for Dolphins have been doing over the last, what, eight years? And um, about to get a little bit more into some of the stuff that they've, the ongoing campaigns that they're working on at the moment. And so we've talked a, a, a little bit about, about these, um, but your website describes quite a few different uh, projects that Action for Dolphins are working on. You've you've discussed some of the stuff around um, the the advocacy you're doing for dolphins in Japan to stop the export of dolphins there, and also the slaughter in in the bay there. Um, you've talked about the Waza campaign, which seemed quite um, successful. You've also got some other things uh, around um, a petition for scientists. What's, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that that was um, to bring the scientific community together um, about the hunting, the dolphin hunting over in Japan and really put proper scientific evidence behind why it is so cruel and why it's not supported. And how did you go? Like, what was the outcome of that? Really well. I believe there's over 10,000 signatures on there. It's actually something that we pushed a while ago, before my time, admittedly, mm-hmm. at AFD. So, yeah, I, I, I believe it went really well. And it was part of our um, legal action that we brought a few years ago where we wanted to um, put people on the stand who had a really good understanding of animal welfare and who'd produce papers and everything about it so you get a really scientific backing to these these actions that we're doing yeah you also talked about um ending dolphin captivity captivity in australia there was there was a um i wondered there was a campaign up on the site and i wonder if it's still going or or whether focus has shifted to ending dolphin captivity there was something about creating a better life for captive dolphins is that something you're still pursuing or is it is is the preference to end dolphin captivity yeah, I'll pre- that could have been in relation to the sanctuary. I'm uh, probably moving them to have a better life outside of the pools. Um, but our focus is definitely ending dolphin captivity and primarily just through stopping dolphin breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we had that recent win in New South Wales and now we're focusing in Queensland. We're trying to get a similar um, inquiry going into which again had a lot of scientific backing on whether we should be breeding dolphins in captivity and the impact that it has. There's really high rates of um, uh, of infant mortality, mm. which was a big um, indicator that we shouldn't really be breeding them in the pools if they have a really low chance of survival anyway, and that's very traumatic for all the dolphins in, mm. in the pool, in the pod. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, like some of the issues that dolphins face by being in captivity? You know, when we see um, the killer whales, we, there's some really clear signs like the, um, the bent fin, 
which is something that happens for for them. And there's obviously psychological and um, serious impacts on their well-being psychologically, as well as physical impacts. What are the what are some of the issues that dolphins face who are in captivity? Yeah, it's similar for the bottlenose dolphins. Is is usually the species that are that are brought up in captivity, and they they have similar psychological distresses. Um, you'll often see them just swimming around in circles. Um, they don't have as strong social bonds over time. If if members of the pod, for example, if the if the baby dies. Um, they also have a lot of skin and irritation issues with their eyes because they're in chlorinated water. Um, one of the big things as well is the depth of these pools. They're really shallow and a lot of the time they don't actually have proper shade. So they can get sunburnt. There's some really horrible photos of, of dolphins with um, sunburn because there's nowhere for them to escape the sun or they can't dive deep enough to escape it. Um yeah, so those are just a handful, really, of, of the issues. And mm. I think there's probably a broader societal impact of using an, any animal just purely for our entertainment. Um, I think, yeah, it's definitely on its way out. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it just, I know this is, the, the, the comparison is in no way even close, but a lot of us now have an experience of being trapped in a, in a room or a house for an extended period of time without, you know, we were lucky enough to go out for an hour, you know, and, mm. and walk around for an hour. Dolphins don't get that. They're in this room or this space for years. How, how long mm. do they live in captivity? They can live for up to 50 years. 50? 50, 50, yeah, 50. So that's a, a part of our um, ending captive breeding campaign is if a dolphin's born today it'll be still it could still be in the pool in 2070 and think about how different the world's going to be then oh, just it's just like i just imagine what psychological impact that must have on someone to mm. be in a denuded environment with no <laughs> with nothing and not being able to go anywhere or do anything under your own agency it must mm. just be it's torturous and I think it is an interesting comparison. I I did the hotel quarantine. I came back from the UK last year and it, it, it is really hard not to be able to leave, but you obviously have the foresight to know I'm doing this so that I'm not spreading a virus and I don't want to meet up with my family for that exact reason. But dolphins don't have that. <laughs> um, they're not able to see. Uh, the industry will often say, oh, they're ambassadors for the species, but that's not their choice. They don't want to be doing that necessarily so it's really taking away the animal's agency and, and treating them as a commodity which is um not right at all yeah yeah the ambassador for the species is so human centric isn't it mm. it's a uh, very disappointing language and i suppose one one thing that i like to do when thinking about these is is think of the animal's perspective mm. and like we can with humans we can we can imagine being in someone's shoes or someone's place um, can you imagine being in in one of these um, these things as a dolphin for for fifty years? Ah, oh, just mm. uh, shocking. Uh, so it's fantastic that you're doing that work. Yeah, and there's just there's just no conservation justification for it either, which is another big thing the industry will often say because the bottlenose dolphins, luckily, they're not endangered in the wild, so there is just no need to be breeding them in a captive environment, and they're also as I explained earlier, not able to be rehabilitated into the wild if they're born in captivity anyway. So there's no reason we need to be keeping them in these enclosed spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so another another uh, couple of campaigns that were up on the website that I just wanted to he hear about was um, Action for Dolphins approved. So you, you, you mentioned that you know, there's plenty of dolphins out in the wild and unfortunately we've seen that also be exploited and I think back a couple of years ago to that horrific footage of a baby dolphin being taken out of the water and died because people wanted to get selfies mm. I mean anyway like <laughs> sometimes I weep for humanity but um so there were there were some ca campaigns or projects on on new website that talk about Action for Dolphins approved wildlife encounters and confronting hand feeding. Mm. So when when is it okay to interact with dolphins in the wild? How can it be done in an appropriate way that's good for the dolphins as well as 
for human experience. Because it does, there does seem to be this thing where dolphins, um, dolphins are curious creatures, and there's these multi-species or interspecies interactions between dolphins and humans. Um, and is it okay to respect the agency of the dolphin to visit humans? Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we are so lucky that dolphins do like to come up and interact with us and also with boats. So you definitely can go out there and have an encounter with dolphins that's completely on their terms. It's enjoyable for them and it's incredible for us because you can see them up close. And what the approved wild encounters shows, we've got up on our website, we've got sort of a brochure, a report that goes through what to look for when you do go out on these wild encounters. Um, And one of the big ones is when, if you go out on a boat, if the boat spots the dolphins, it then stops. And then you'll notice the dolphins will sometimes come up to the boat and want to play in the bow and everything. So I think just... The main thing is looking out for them, respecting what the dolphins actually want to do and not chasing them and sort of forcing them into an interaction. Um, And, I mean, I've gone out on multiple trips around Australia and and interacted with dolphins on their terms and it's been just one of the most incredible experiences ever because you're not leaving a negative impact at all and you're getting this amazing experience out of it. Mm. And it could be a positive impact for the dolphins, in fact. So on on that... um so that's a really good uh, example of what to look out for. Is there a way to, to gauge that before you get on the boat? Because it would be horrible if you got out there, you're hoping to have a good wildlife encounter, and then the boat, the, the boat just starts chasing the dolphins. You, mm. At that point, you can't remove yourself from that situation. Is there a list of, um, of places or encounters, approved wildlife encounters, um, tourism operators that you know of? Yeah, yeah, there is. We've got, so we've partnered with a couple of them around Australia, which if you do have a look on our website in that report, it's got a big list and it goes through them. I highly recommend for people in Victoria, the Polpero Dolphin Swim down in Port Phillip Bay. That's really, they're actually quite conservation based. Um, We did a lot of work with them, partnered with them. Um, They often have scientists on board as well to to help with, well, they'll gain evidence and things. So it's, um, yeah, I highly recommend checking that one out as a starting point and also having a look for, there's a few in New South Wales and South Australia as well. but also, I guess you could just even have the conversation with the operator before you get on. And one of the big things to look out for, if they say 100% guarantee that you'll see and swim with dolphins, that's usually a bit of a red flag because you can't 100% guarantee a wild interaction. Yeah, yeah, that's good, good, um, good red flag to look out for. Thanks for sharing that. And the confronting hand feeding. I know I was speaking to my mum um, who lives in in Queensland in Tin Can Bay, mm-hmm. and apparently there's dolphins at the at the pier there or wherever they are. I haven't been up there yet, but um, I, and I think people go and and interact with them. How what is it about conf- like what is confronting hand feeding about? Is this a project that you're working on, or can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, we do actually do quite a bit of work around trying to stop hand feeding. So there's a, a number of different types in Australia. There's a few that are regulated and then there's a few places around that are unregulated that people just go out and feed them. And in both cases, they're still really bad. They basically teach dolphins firstly to associate humans with food and that causes an increase of um, human to dolphin related injuries so like boat strikes and things like that because they'll go oh great I can go up to them and get food and um, it can cause injuries it also changes their behavior so they might start patrolling an area or begging for food Um, they can sometimes get aggressive towards people who don't feed them when they expect it Um, and and that's especially in cases when it's unregulated but even when it's regulated we've gone through all these studies that found that hand-fed mothers can actually wean half as many calves they and they don't teach their calves really vital hunting life skills because they know they can go to a certain place and just get fish from humans and so they don't look after their their calves properly Mm. so it's a pretty it's a pretty major issue it's again sort of forcing an interaction that you don't need to enforce you can see I mean I was up in Port Stephens the other 
a couple of months ago and I saw a dolphin at sunset teaching its young how to, um, they do this amazing thing where they build up enough momentum to sort of get quite far up to the shore, stun the fish, and then they use the momentum to get back into the deeper water. And I was just sitting on the beach having an Aperol spritz and the <laughs> saw this this incredible interaction happening. So you can... If you're, if you're out there on the coast, you can see these sort of things. You don't really need to do a sort of, I would say, forced interaction like feeding at a frozen fish. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good um, thing to highlight. Thanks for sharing. Uh, so the – actually, we're going to go to another song. Sure. Um, and this one is – Again, we're going to go with Grey Whistle Test, a, a good Australian band, local band. And this one's Flower Girl. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so Flower Girl was their first song that they released. So that, that was a couple of years ago now. Um, and yeah, I think it was an, a, an especially special one because it was the, the first time they put themselves out there. And I think it's a really beautiful song.
More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel, and it is unlawful. Every day, a group of supporters protests this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. Welcome back to Freedom of Species here at 3CR, Radical Radio, Community Radio. We are joined with Hannah Tate, CEO of Action for Dolphins. We've been talking about all the great work that Action for Dolphins have been doing recently and some of the fantastic wins that they've had, uh, which is really good not only for dolphins but also for other marine life. Uh, another, so just before we move on to a, a different focus, I'll, I wanted to follow up on one other project that Action for Dolphins is working on, uh, and that's around you know, protecting um, marine life from, from ocean plastics and tackling the issue of ocean plastics, which is a really big issue. Um, how does this fit into Action for Dolphins' work? Yeah, yeah, as you say, it's a massive issue and our, our main work around that is sort of raising awareness and cleaning up waste through beach cleans. So we run them relatively regularly down at St Kilda. We've run, a, I think, five or six in the past few years. Obviously, there was a, a breakthrough, the pandemic. But, um, yeah, and the part of that is just encouraging people to get out there and pick up rubbish every day when they're on, especially when they're down near the water. Um, we also hosted the Seaside Scavenge, which was a really big beach cleanup festival at the, I think it was midway through 2019. Um, and that that's quite a cool organisation um, that we partnered with to make that. And the idea is you collect the waste and then you can go into the festival and you can you get tokens for how much rubbish you pick up. And you can use those tokens, local businesses get on board and you can get a takeaway coffee, you can get secondhand clothes, you can sort of buy things with, with the rubbish, so it's sort of repurposing things. Um, yeah, and that was a huge success down in Frankston in winter a couple of years ago. So... That's the main way we tackle that issue. Yeah, and how is how how are ocean plastics impacting dolphins? Well, as they are with a lot of other marine, well, pretty much every other marine creature, um, they'll ingest plastics, um, and also it's just filling up the the oceans in general, and it's making our way. I'm not sure if you've seen the studies, probably have how it's making its way even into our water systems and things. So it is. It's just a a massive issue that affects the entire ocean and humans. Mm, yeah, microplastics making their way into our um, physiology and uh, our systems and whatnot. And then, yeah, yeah the, the plastics themselves. I just, I remember the, a campaign by Greenpeace, I think it was, where there were um, uh, seabirds, there was a seabird and in its guts, it was a dead seabird, in its guts was just full of plastic, mm. um, died, uh, having died. So what is, is it for dolphins? Is it like plastic bags mimicking? Um, do dolphins eat uh, things like, or animals like jellyfish? Is it, what, sort of, what sort of things are real, a real issue for dolphins? They mainly eat fish, I'm sure. I don't come from a scientific background. I'm sure there's been a dolphin somewhere... Yeah. <laughs> somewhere in the world that's tried a jellyfish but it, yeah it's also just within the entire food chain plastics have made its way um in the ocean so they do and end, end up with them and in, in their system the same um yeah which is obviously horrible and that's one of the main things we actually look for when you go when we do our beach cleans people might say oh the beach is actually pretty clean and then when you actually sort of look through the sand you'll find we've found thousands of cigarette butts or mm. the, lots of those teeny tiny microplastics and little styrofoam balls and things like that so yep. yeah it's it, it's quite sad when you actually start looking you realize it's everywhere mm. and do you find so you know there's this um thing with uh, actions like beach cleaning that it, it just is is 
such a small step in the larger issue? Is it is it really about making the connection to people, you know, let's think about our plastics use? Yeah. Because uh, the, the action of cleaning the beach is really good for the local beach, but it's not necessarily going to be a massive impact on a larger scale. Um, so what's the core of that? action yeah the core is to definitely raise awareness around it and I think plastics actually does a a lot of the environmental community focus on plastics um and so it is it does make up quite a relatively small part of our Mm. broader work it's it's something that we we want to be involved in but it's not our core focus um so we just that's why we just sort of focus on this will be raising awareness about this issue that a lot of people already know a lot about. Yeah, and and raising awareness of action for dolphins, I suppose, through that. that yeah. That people we, sort of connect in through the plastics to understanding more about dolphin issues. Exactly, and we get to meet our supporters in person and have like discussions with people in person, which is always really nice. Mm, yeah, that's great. So just as we get closer to wrapping up, uh, earlier you mentioned um, the documentary Seaspiracy mm-hmm. and we actually talked about the, the show, the, the doco, two, two shows ago. So if you want to hear a discussion about Seaspiracy and some of the issues and some of the good things, um, then check out our previous show a couple of weeks ago in April. Um, but do you, do you want to tell us like what was your thoughts on the documentary from a dolphin's perspective they did have that footage of taiji they do you know um sort of make the case that hey perhaps plastics isn't the biggest issue that we should be focusing on the fishing industry has a massive um impact on marine wildlife can you talk a little bit about that and particularly what's the go with fishing industry and dolphins? Yeah, I think it was it was um, really interesting. It was really great. They touched on the dolphin hunting and how that's affecting populations. And a lot of people since then have reached out to me and my colleagues and be like, oh, I kind of understand a little bit more about what you're doing now. Um, but it is it is. It also, as you said, brought up a lot of the issues around the fi- the impact of the fishing industry and the tuna fishing industry and specifically how they can't guarantee that they won't um, catch dolphins. And we actually did do a bit of a work bit of work around this we were based in the UK for a time period um so from sort of 2019 into 2020 I was working over there and we were looking at putting LED lights on gillnet fisheries around the UK which were known to reduce the bycatch of turtles and dolphins and seabirds so we started looking into it and it's quite um it's there's already quite a lot going on for that in the UK so we we're finished up there now and we're, we're just based in Australia so we have been looking I think one of the biggest fishing fishing states is South Australia so we were looking into um, how we could maybe start introducing these trials that are working well around the rest of the world here in Australia it's not currently one of our biggest focus but I think it, it definitely could be moving into the rest of the year and into 2022 and I think Seaspiracy did make that pretty clear just how bad the impact is. Yeah, and that's a great segue into the next question I had, which is what is going to be the main focus in this coming year and and into the future? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, we're we're launching a criminal complaint against the sale of dolphin meat because of the high levels of mercury in Japan. We're working on that currently with our lawyers, so that's going to be sort of one of the bigger campaigns. We also, a couple of years ago, actually put up billboards in Japan, which was quite difficult to do, but raising awareness about what's happening um, because a lot of people in Japan aren't aware of the the dolphin hunts over there. So keep up that focus. Also, we're going up to Noosa next month and doing a lot more work around removing the shark nets up there. And hopefully Queensland's the only state in the whole world that has shark nets in through whale migration season. So the aim will be to get those out then. And also banned dolphin captive breeding in um, Queensland. Yeah, fantastic. So lots of lots of things yeah. happening. <laughs> if someone is interested in helping, supporting Action for Dolphins, how might they do that? Um, is there a way to get involved with some of the things that Action for Dolphins is doing? Um, is it local? 
location restricted? Like how, how can people support you and, and get involved? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not necessarily location restrictive. We're based here in Melbourne, but if you just go to our website, www.afd.org.au, there's heaps of info on there. And you can always reach out directly to us, info at afd.org.au. If you want to get involved, we're always open to that. We'd, we'd love to meet people who feel passionate about the same issues and there's there's always work to be done. Yeah, fantastic. And finally, can I just ask, why did you get involved with dolphins? Why, why out of all of the issues out there in the world, what drew you to Action for Dolphins and for making a change for these special creatures? Yeah, so I actually watched The Cove when I was in high school and it just flipped a switch. I just thought how horrible it was and it just I said I actually really just want to dedicate my life and my time to trying to end this and I made my year group sit in the shape of a dolphin and hold up signs save Japan dolphins and everything so I felt passionate about it for such a long time and I just reached out to AFD when I was moving down to Melbourne and asked could I get involved as an intern and uh, four years later, here I am That's as great. CEO. <laughs> so you can go go big places after a, a quick email and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and some passion. And some blog writing, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so get out there, write, write some blogs, people, um, and do good things for animals. Um, thanks so much for being part of the show today, Hannah. We really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I had a great time. And you've been listening to Freedom of Species. Up next week, we're here every Sunday, 1pm till 2. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Animal Liberation Front, um, it's, or an Animal Liberation Front related discussion, uh, an interview with Kevin Heller from the Netherlands. So if that sounds interesting to you, then certainly make sure you log in or not log in, you can download the show by, via podcast or listen in via radio, 855am. And Animal Liberation Front are a really interesting organisation. They've all across the... Well, organisation may be a, a very strong, strong term for them. More of an idea. Animal Liberation Front is a fantastic idea, very, um, very interesting idea. And I'm sure it'll be a, a really great discussion with Kevin. So tune in if you're interested. If you've got any feedback for the show... Um, reach out on Facebook or via Twitter at Foz Radio and listen in next week. Um, next, The next show that we are going to be listening to, stay tuned, we've got repeats on, uh, 3CR repeats for the next hour, and I am sure it's going to be a good one. But before we go to that, we'll listen to one more song by, by Grey Whistle Test. This one's called Watermelon. And is there any story behind Watermelon? Yeah, this is another one of their early tracks and I think um, it was written, I believe one of them had a dream um, and it was possibly written off the back of that. Um, yeah, maybe that's not so true, but who knows? Well, I guess we'll find out. We're creating a myth <laughs> yeah. here, the, the watermelon dream myth. Yeah, it sounds like it could be written after a dream.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.